Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home, office, and garage using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2, owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, phone, and security services. Smithville. Local Pride, Global Technology. Information at smithville.net. Mother Bear's Pizza of Bloomington, open daily and offering gourmet pizzas, hot submarine sandwiches, and salads with daily specials. Menu available online at motherbearspizza.com. 332-4495 for delivery. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Daniel Robison, Assistant News Director here at WFIU, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. Today we're talking about the life sciences and the role they play in Indiana. On the program today are Indiana University Biology Department Chair Roger Ennis and Bio Crossroads Public Relations and Marketing Director Lori Leroy is joining us by telephone. Thank you both for being on the program. I'm very pleased to be here. Glad to be here. Before we get started, let me remind listeners they can join the program by phone at 812 812- Eight five five zero eight one one or one eight seven seven two eight five WFIU. Ask a question, make a comment. You can also send in a written question by going to our website wfiu.org slash noon edition. You can also follow us on Twitter at noon edition one word. Well, first off, let's get a working definition of the life sciences out on the table. What exactly are we talking about here? I'll start with answer that one. Life sciences is very broad. Um, it, most people, I think, think first of healthcare, mm-hmm. and of course, that's a very large part of the economy that life sciences contributes to. But it's also um, it's a very important role in the agricultural sector. Many of the researchers in the biology department study plant biology. There's also a lot of research just looking at ecosystem services that is very much part of life sciences that occurs in the biology department as well. Can I stop you right there? Mm-hmm. What are ecosystem services? <clears throat> That's basically looking at how um, the how the ecosystems, in other words, the natural environments and the farm environments, everything around us, um, contributes to keeping us healthy and the planet healthy. So, just things like water, for example, is a big one. Um, we collect a lot of our water from Lake Monroe here locally. Mm-hmm. Um, all the land that that water is draining off of can be considered part of the ecosystem services. It's with all the farmland that we have around here, there's concerns about runoff from pesticides and fertilizers. Clearly, there's enough room for that water to percolate through clean streams, et cetera, that cleans up the water. That's an ecosystem service. Mm-hmm. So one thing that people really have to keep in mind is what how the natural environments can contribute to keeping our air clean, our water clean, and understanding how that all works. And we have people that study that kind of stuff. Now, how does that differ from agronomy when you're studying these kinds of things? So agronomy is really focused on cultivation of crops. And so one can look at the interaction between cultivation of crops and the natural systems around those fields and how they interact together to mitigate the impact that might occur from growing those crops, things like soil runoff, et cetera. Okay, thanks. And that's just part of the definition of life sciences, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you said it's a pretty wide umbrella that a lot of things can be defined as life sciences. Uh, Lori, how would you put it? Um, well, I definitely agree with this, as much as he's mentioned thus far. Um, the way we look at it a lot of times, we break it up according to um, biopharmaceuticals, uh, medical devices, um, the healthcare industry, hospitals, um, physicians. Um, you know, healthcare professionals, as well as agriculture um, and even chemicals. Really, the way we look at it is is anything with a cell. Hmm. Well, Lori, uh, go ahead and describe what's done at BioCrossroads for our listeners who aren't familiar with it. Sure. Um, we are um, an organization that was formed to really bolster the life sciences in the state. And, and the way we do that primarily is through funding um, startup companies and entrepreneurs to start new companies. We also form um, initiatives and enterprises through our office. Um, we also um, help, collab- help universities and the industry 
collaborate together. For example, um, we might work on a project with IU, Purdue, and Notre Dame and, and connect them with um, the right people at Eli Lilly for a certain project. Um, in addition, we um, do have some um, initiatives that help with um, science and math education throughout the state. So it really is a statewide effort, and you're working with not only other universities, but um, important businesses uh, throughout the state. Absolutely. We, we, um, we are very inclusive in our efforts. Um, like I said, we, we work with entrepreneurs and researchers, helping them to um, perhaps, um, if they're at IU um, working on some research um, and there's a commercial application for their research, help, help them um, put all the pieces together to make that a commercial entity. Um, and we also work with industry. We work with Lilly and Roche and WellPoint and those kinds of um, corporate partners um, to do different things around the state as well. And a lot of times it does involve um, university-related projects. So part of your job then is to take university-generated um, ideas and um, help bring them down the road to becoming a commercial entity. Is that correct? Um, when, when it makes sense, yes. Certainly the universities have resources, um, you know, they have incubators and, and uh, people within their organizations to help do that too. But when it makes sense, um, we can be brought into the picture as well. Okay. Well, Roger, you're a researcher yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. You know a lot of researchers there at the biology school. Do any of, have any of your ideas or have any of their ideas been turned into companies by BioCrossroads or any other similar entity? Um, within the biology department, there's not been too much of that translating into actual companies. Um, but I know there are several sort of collaborations between biology and chemistry that have resulted in that. So, for example, David Klemmer in chemistry has a, a couple companies he's spun off now related to his so-called proteomics work. And one of those I know I think is doing quite well is looking at um, blood plasma. Hmm. And there... Some of their work is done in collaboration with biologists because, of course, they're looking at biological samples to test their analytical equipment. And some of the nice applications of that technology that spun off in the companies was actually used to look at um, neurodevelopment in fruit flies, of all things. But that's giving us a better idea, really, of how brains are put together. But again, this is related to um, technology that's initially done at a very basic level, but then ultimately gets spun off into companies that have products in healthcare. Lori, you said these ideas are only spun off when they uh, make sense. When does an idea make sense to you? Well, it certainly has to have some kind of market application. Um, you know, we we actually um, go through some um, business ideas and, and make sure that, you know, there is some kind of commercial application um, and a market for these kinds of things. But we do a lot of due diligence and work very closely with some of those folks on um, if there is some kind of commercial application. And then they're handed off, as you said, to one of the incubators that is already exists, correct? Well, sometimes they come out of the incubators or sometimes, you know, we work with companies um, before they get to that stage. So um, it, really, it really ranges. But um, like I said, uh, the universities have amazing resources to help in those areas as well. But, and sometimes um, we come in and, and help out um, with some other things, networking um, with the right um, consultants or um, industry representatives, things like that. Mm-hmm. When I hear the word incubator, I think of uh, a baby chicken. I think of being in second grade <laughs> again. What exactly is uh, an incubator that we're talking about here? Well, um, most of the um, un- large universities have some kind of incubator program. Purdue has a very large one um, that's got, I think, four sites throughout the state, and IU um, is um, has one in, um, up in Indianapolis and is um, just opened one in Bloomington as well. Um, Purdue, or excuse me, Notre Dame um, has one that's getting ready to open this fall. And what they do is they have a bunch of resources in house. Um, they have facility space. Some of them have lab space, wet lab space, dry lab space to um, help um, these life sciences companies really get started. Um, sometimes they can help them find funding to get off the ground um, and, like I said, just put the right resources in place to get them, you know, a lot of times from that laboratory that's on-site at the university into a separate location where they can really grow and flourish. So business uh, enters the incubator and it develops in the incubator and then if it proves successful in the incubator, then it becomes a business in the real world? Is that right? It can be, yes. 
Yeah, some of them, some of them um, stay in the incubators for a while, and some of them sort of grow up and um, and graduate, so to speak, mm-hmm. from from incubators and find their own spaces and add new people and um, jobs and things like that. Well, let's talk about the uh, kind of economic impact that uh, company life science companies have had on the state. Um, you know, when did this whole life sciences uh, term get coined, and when did it sort of become trendy to talk about it? And, and, and <laughs> you know, is it really having an economic economic impact in the state right now? It definitely is. And um, there actually a report came out um, just last week from um, um, the Kelly School and the um, Indiana Business Research Center um, talking about um, some of the in- economic impact that um, the life sciences have had in the state and not just the economic impact, um, but also job growth and things like that. But um, what's interesting is um, as early as the, you know, late 1800s, Indiana has had life sciences strengths mm-hmm. um, with Colonel Lilly starting um, um, Eli Lilly and Company um, back in the late 1800s and then um, up in Warsaw, Indiana, our orthopedics capital of the world, um, we had um, uh, Mr. Zimmer, who started um, his company, I believe, back in the early 1900s. And so for more than 100 years, Indiana has been a life sciences state almost without knowing it. Mm-hmm. And um, it was really only back in um, the early 2000s that we started figuring out that we have all these amazing assets throughout the state. Um, we have these amazing research institu- institutions. We have phenomenal life science corporations like Lilly and Roche and Dow Agro and WellPoint, um, uh, Zimmer, um, Depew, and Biomet up in Warsaw. Um, and um, it just was a matter of sort of um, creating a cluster of all these companies and assets to say, okay, we've got all this, we've got all this, we're in the game, but what do we, where do we go from here? How do we build on it? How do we take advantage of collaborations and different things and not just be siloed um, corporations or organizations? How do we really bolster what we've got um, to put our mark on, um, mark on the life sciences nationwide? So then, as I recall, having kind of followed this as from its beginning, that was when uh, the universities really got called upon to participate and um, be somewhat of a feeder system. Do you think that's a fair description? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, with and what's wonderful now too is that um, IU and Purdue both are really um, their their strengths in many of their. Um, programs are in the life sciences, and so they're really promoting that as well, um, not just for their students and faculty, but um, it's become sort of a marketing campaign for them. And um, with the Innovation Alliance that they've got, um, working with um, trying to get some more money from the legislator to further bolster their efforts and programs. And then um, last year with the NIH awarding um, the schools um, one of the very prestigious um, clinical and scientific translational awards. Um, that was that was a really um, huge landmark for I think um, our universities to get. We were one of only 14 schools that um, received one of those awards last year, and um, it's a pretty significant thing. And we'll really be able to see some additional growth as a result of that. Roger, uh, how have you seen this increased emphasis on uh, life sciences in your department? Um, several ways. One is we've added a new program recently in biotechnology. Um, it's a new undergraduate and master's degree. Um, the students that come into that program really are trying to train for jobs in the um, life sciences industries, and, and particularly the pharmaceutical industries. The <clears throat> there's definitely a, a large demand for students that have cross training in both business and life sciences. And so we see an increase in interest in so-called LAMP program, where students take courses in both the business school and the um, biology or chemistry. The Lilly, for years, has been a major employer of many of our graduates from biology, especially microbiology programs. So we certainly see a, you know, increased interest both from support from the state but also increased um, support and in grants from NIH. Um, the funding for the department just continues to grow from federal sources. 
So I think we've been a beneficiary of, of all those sorts of increased interests in the life sciences. So these companies come to you and say, we want, your, we want certain types of students to come out of your program. Mm-hmm. And then you've changed your program to fit that? Yeah, it's a two-way communication for sure. When we were designing this new biotech degree, we were talking to many of the, especially local life sciences companies and asking, you know, what skills do you want your students to have? You know, we're mm-hmm. teaching them the latest in technology, what sorts of technology are most important to your companies. And so we definitely talked to folks, say, from Cook Pharmaca and Baxter, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then has, have you had an opportunity then to um, kind of reach down even to the high school and younger levels and say, hey, we need, we need you to be prepping your, your students to be ready to do this, you know, X, Y, Z in college? Um, we haven't done that too directly, but we do have outreach programs to the high schools, and certainly there's some nice communication going on. In fact, mm-hmm. right now we're submitting a proposal to NSF to um, get what's called a GK-12 training grant, which would um, train graduate students um, partly by having them interact with teachers and be a resource in the classroom in the high school and middle school science classrooms. And so the the teachers benefit from that because these graduate students are bringing a lot of new knowledge down into that level, kind of telling them what science is all about, what they should be thinking about. Um, but at the same hand, our students learn a lot about what it takes to teach science, mm-hmm. which will be very valuable to them when they move on from IU. This whole symbiotic relationship that, that is being set up seems like such a good way to stem the, the brain drain that we hear so much about in Indiana. Is that, has that been, um, and I, I think, Roger, either you or Lori could speak to this, has is is that been one of the stated goals of the Life Sciences Initiative? Uh, well, we like to think of it as just the reverse of brain drain. As as we boost the strength of the life sciences industries here and in, in Bloomington, I think we especially see it. There's many very talented scientists that are moving to Indiana to work in these industries and also to be faculty here at IU. Mm-hmm. The, I mean, our own faculty has grown from about 40 to 65 in the last 10 years. So that's a very big growth. And, and most of those people came from outside Indiana to come here. And so oh, it's definitely the life sciences push in this area is is reversing brain drain. And I would say we're bringing some good talent in from outside the state as well. What a great thing for Indiana. Mm-hmm. That's really Absolutely. exciting. And, and the other thing that we're doing is looking at um, our, our younger students as well. We have um, initiated a program called the Indiana Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics Resource Network. And it's a consortium of um, about 14 different um, university campuses around the state who work with their local um, uh, K-12 schools, primarily in um, professional development for science and math teachers. And so we're really looking at, um, you know, we're, we're growing jobs in the life sciences pretty significantly year over year, and how are we going to fulfill those? Yes, we can. It's great to get bright minds from outside of the state and bring them in, but um, how do we prepare our students and get them engaged and interested in the life sciences, particularly because it looks like there's going to be a lot of opportunity for them um, once they either get out of high school or into um, somewhere like Ivy Tech or um, on to um, university-based setting. Mm-hmm. Well, Indiana has been growing its emphasis on life science companies and education, but what can the state really do to make it an even better competitor you know, with, with states that are also trying? That's a good question. Well, I think one of, one of the things that's um, been sort of a unique um, area um, is that we really try to focus on what are some specific clusters that Indiana has um, that aren't found anywhere else, even on the coast, which are um, the place most known for their – and we've done that in a couple of ways. One is um, with um, pharmaceutical and um, biotechnology manufacturing. So the folks who actually make drugs and make um, the molecules into um, into, into um, something that can be done it, put in a clinical trial or something. So um, we've got about 50 of those companies around the state which employ about 8,500 people. And so what we've done at BioCrossroads is we've created a whole initiative around this group of folks who make and develop the drugs, and partnered with some companies and organizations in San Diego, for example, who actually discovers the drugs. So the discovery companies need someone to make their drugs. So why not 
come to Indiana to have that happen. Mm-hmm. So we've built an entire cluster around that specific strength that Indiana has. Um, in addition, if you look at Warsaw, Indiana, um, we've got three of the largest um, orthopedic manufacturers in the world based up there, and um, they actually account for about a third of the global marketplace in their manufacturing efforts. And so we've built sort of a cluster around um, the orthopedics. They also have um, companies um, in the area that do a lot of the um, OEM manufacturing for them and are um, big into supply chain operations, things like that. Um, all of the companies that sort of support the big three companies up in Warsaw. And so um, by doing that, we really um, put our um, stake in the ground on having some very specialized but significant um, cluster opportunities for the state, in addition to our other strengths with the folks like Lilly and Roche Diagnostics and Dow Agro and um, places like that. But um, we, we really um, have looked at it a little uniquely and I think more strategically than some other regions that um, have strong life sciences in that we're, we're being specific in these sort of niche areas. I'm fascinated by the story you're telling about Warsaw, Indiana. I was not uh, aware of their prominence in the orthopedic industry. Um, do you mind just mentioning a few things that are manufactured up there? Because I'm curious about specific what specific orthopedic-related sure, items. Sure. They, um, Biomet and Zimmer in particular, um, they, they make um, a lot of knee and hip replacements. So if, if you know someone who's who's had a hip or knee replaced, chances are, um, you know, one of those screws or components that go into that are, are made up in Warsaw. Um, like I said, they are about, um, there's about $11 billion um, of revenue that flows through that um, community of about 12,000 people. It's um, quite an amazing place. And, um, Billion with a B. We should be very <laughs> proud and, and talk about it a little bit more um, because it truly is the orthopedics capital of the world. It's, um, you know, we've got the big, the big three up there with Zimmer, Depew, and Biomet, and there's also a Medtronic um, facility that um, makes some spinal implant um, products. So it's, it's quite a unique uh, location um, globally. Lori, could I just ask a question to follow up on that? What's sure. the benefit of these companies all coming together in the same location? Well, you, um, you have a very concentrated area of um, very skilled workers within that specific industry. Um, and like I said, there have been a lot of, um, of companies that have started up outside of those companies that help, help with you know, OEM or some more specialized things. So we've really seen those three companies grow up into these global giants and then um, companies have spun off of them as well, um, entrepreneurial companies and things like that, and built an entire sector around that um, very small um, geography. Wow, so just kind of a bloom where you're planted situation. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Roger, let me ask you one more question before we, uh, we take a break. Um, <clears throat> I asked uh, Lori what Indiana could do to become a better competitor in the life sciences industry, but... You mentioned your department is growing. What are you doing so that your department is a better competitor for students and for faculty? Um, well, one is cer- certainly evaluating our curriculum each year. Um, the microbiology curriculum that we have has been recently um, overhauled to you know, try to keep up with what the current needs are. This new biotechnology program are all meant to keep us on the cutting edge of what our students need to be learning. Um, Said this, we've been fortunate that we have been able to grow over the last few years, and there our hiring is very strategic. Mm-hmm. We try to bring people in that are using the latest methods, the latest equipment, and then we've been very aggressive at obtaining um, real state-of-the-art equipment. For example, we just recently put in essentially two million dollar electron microscope that is one of the best in the world now for looking at both materials and biological specimens. Um, there's been an investment in flow cytometry, which is a, a, a method of analyzing cells one at a time that's very powerful. And the university put in several hundred thousand dollars to get that facility up and running. That's amazing. Do you have a board of advisors or an advisory group made up of um, 
industry leaders, um, uh, yeah, folks who are you know, out there in the field right now? Um, not so much for day-to-day type of operations mm-hmm. for sure. But some of um, – like we, we, le- we received a very nice um, grant from the Lilly Foundation, I believe it was, that's funded over $50 million of sort of infrastructure and, and assisting with faculty hiring. And there, there's an outside board that includes both um, industrial and academic people on it. Do they endow some uh, job opportunities there? They, they, well, a lot of it just went to seeding new research projects that would likely then bloom and hopefully attract additional funding mm-hmm. or possibly ultimately spinning off into companies. Um, but some of it helped set up new faculty members when we're trying to hire in these strategic areas. It's very expensive to set up a new faculty lab. And, and this program is called Metasite. It was the name that ultimately was given to it. Um, it's helped set up several new faculty. But they also funded some of the new equipment that we've been able to obtain. So it's had a very broad impact across the life sciences efforts at the university. $50 million brought in. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, it's the bottom of the hour, so we have to take a break. Uh, we'll be back a minute on Noon Edition. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, Smithville Telephone, information at smithville.net, and from Mother Bear's Pizza at motherbearspizza.com. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcasts. Podcasting is a convenient and easy way to download audio files directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. You can download podcasts of full-length programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, as well as movie, play, and opera reviews. Find out more by going to our website, WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? On Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, the WFIU news team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting south-central Indiana. Listen at 8.33 a.m. and 5.45 p.m. every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to catch that day's feature. If you miss one, that's okay. They're archived on our website, WFIU.org. And the best features from each week can be heard Saturday mornings at 745. Welcome back to Noon Edition. Today we're talking about the life sciences and the role they play in Indiana. In the studio is Indiana University Department, uh, Biology Department Chair Roger Ennis. And on the phone is Brian Crossroads Public Relations and Marketing Director Lori Leroy. Uh, you mentioned uh, before the break, Roger, a $50 million grant from Lilly. Uh, let's talk about uh, the type of impact on the local economy that these big chunks of money have, um, you know, uh, not just the $50 million, but all the ones we were not mentioning. Yeah, so that a lot of that money really was meant to seed additional new research that the, um, can be funded through the labs here and said to bring in new faculty who also will have research labs. And so that Lilly money, what that's translated into is making us much more competitive, especially for federal grant dollars. And by increasing the level of federal grant dollars, that means our research groups grow and that means more people employed here in Bloomington in particular that are contributing to the life sciences industry. But then obviously all that trickles down into the local economy. And so just to give you some figures here, the in 2008 alone, the faculty and biology department brought in $42 million in federal research grants. And so just think about that as that's spent by all those people employed in those labs. I think that definitely has a large impact on the Bloomington economy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, in fact, I think it's just explained to me who's buying all those houses that keep getting built. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Fills in a hole in my world. That's good. It keeps all those nice new restaurants in business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lori, uh, talk a little bit about uh, not just Bloomington but um, about you know the other places. Warsaw, for instance. So what type of trickle-down effect does uh, you know, grant money have on those communities? Well, um, Warsaw, believe it or not, um, doesn't probably have as much of a grant um, grant funding as other places might. Um, most of their um, revenue is revenue based um, money, and so um, in that particular area, um, it's it's mostly via the the corporations that are up there. But um, what we've seen um, is not only an increase in some of the NIH grants and and other grants, but 
um, BioCrossroads um, back in 2005 started a, um, a fund um, for um, entrepreneurs and, and startup companies um, um, to help them sort of get out of that early stage of um, development, of, of company development. So we've got a $6 million seed fund that we meet, started and managed, and then there is also a um, $73 million fund that's managed by Credit Suisse that um, actually um, helps companies a little farther along in their progress. And so um, along with that, we've seen a lot more venture capital money come into the state. We've seen more venture um, capital companies um, actually start up within the state. And um, I think you'll see even in the downturn and in the economy, um, we're sort of maintaining. I think we could always do better, but I think we're sort of holding our own right now in terms of of having opportunities for some of our um, smaller companies to try to get some funding. And the other thing that has happened in the last few years is that um, the um, Indiana Economic Development Corporation has a 21 fund, um, which is a grant-based funding for um, high-tech and life science companies. And um, they've um, funded, I think, $35 million um, into um, about 30 different uh, life sciences companies throughout the state. So um, you're, you're seeing a lot more growth in terms of like the early stage um, seed and venture capital money flowing into the state than, than we used to have. Um, back in the early 2000s, there wasn't much of a market mm-hmm. at all here, and that's really grown up and developed quite nicely over the last five years. And it's, uh, it's a little slow right now, but I think things will definitely pick back up. And we've shown the nation that we've got innovative people here that are worth funding. And so um, what's great is that we've got venture capital companies, not just in Indiana, but on both coasts and around the country that stop in Indiana to see what's going on. And um, a lot of our companies have benefited from money from outside of the state, which is wonderful. Interesting. Uh, Let me remind listeners they can join the program. I forgot to mention the phone numbers. Uh, They can call in, um, ask a question, make a comment. It's 812 Eight five five zero eight one one or one eight seven seven two eight five WFIU. Well, Laura, you mentioned uh, the recession. How have life science companies uh, been affected uh, by the economic downturn? Well, um, so f- so far, I think we're sort of maintaining our um, and holding our own. Um, luckily, um, we started with a lot of very strong companies, and I think that um, so far, most of them are holding. Um, steady. Um, there have been a few layoffs in some of the larger companies, but I guess the, the good news, bad news is that we've seen so many smaller companies start up and some of the service companies start up that um, people are able to find some opportunities, um, maybe not with the larger pl- players, but with the growing number of smaller and mid-sized companies as well. Um, and it's we have such a wonderfully skilled workforce that, you know, we have seen places like Medco, for example, up um, near Zionsville, Indiana. It's one of the largest um, pharmaceutical um, distribution companies in the world, and you know, they're hiring 1,200 people um, to um, as pharmacists, pharmacy techs, um, and operational type people to um, to work in their um, facility, which will be the largest. Um, pharmaceutical distribution facility in the world. And so even with some of the downturn in the economy, I think people are, are being careful. They're being cautious about um, cash flow and things like that. But ultimately, hopefully we can sort of maintain our position and, and even grow some jobs and possibly even grow some companies. What about you, Roger? Uh, you had a lot of uh, students graduating here a couple weeks ago. Do you see uh, more anxiety among your graduates for, about getting jobs in the life sciences industry? Oh, I don't, I don't know about specifically life sciences industry, but certainly higher anxiety overall. Um, and there's also certainly anxiety within the university because university budget's been cut. Mm-hmm. And that, that's certainly where I feel it the most as an administrator is, mm-hmm. is just whether we can get our, our ongoing um, initiatives funded the way we want them funded. Can we even maintain at our current levels? Are we going to have to do some cutting? Um, so there's certainly concern there. Uh, on the flip side, and this is, is almost paradoxical, 
Um, we already are benefiting from the economic stimulus package that was passed and that there was a lot of money put in that package that went to both National Science Foundation and NIH. So we've had several of our researchers just in the last couple of months receive very good news that their grants were funded when they didn't think they were going to be funded. So I think this year we'll actually end up with more federal grant dollars coming into the department than last year because of that stimulus package. So I would imagine that you're, you, you made mention of national money coming in. What about the, the, your relationship with the state and do you both – and this would be really for both of you. Do you, do you find that you need to spend a lot of time uh, trying to educate uh, the state government about what you do and how important it is and, and you know, what happens when they give you money or – uh, the contrary, take money away. Yeah, a- absolutely. The, we, we've been following much closer than usual the budgeting process within the state this year because you know times are very tight and they definitely were talking about making significant cuts to higher education. And at the same time, the stimulus package came through and there was some money in the package that went to states to help um, maintain both higher education and K-12. through um, But it wasn't really very clearly defined how that money should be spent. And so we're definitely working with our representatives of the university who speak directly with legislatures to to educate them on what the needs are. And certainly I have a very personal interest in this from biology department because one of the top capital proposals that the state – that the university put forth to the state this year was to renovate Jordan Hall, which is the main building that the biology department is housed in. This is a building built in the 50s and much of it has really – decayed over those 50 years, haven't been maintained properly again because of previous budget cuts. And so there was $10 million in the state budget specifically to renovate Jordan Hall um, and both passed by the Senate and the House and we were just about ready to pop the champagne when they put the stop on the whole budgeting process. So now we won't know until the end of June whether the state will be able to provide that or not. Well, quick follow-up. But before the special session begins here in a few weeks, uh, what have you done to make sure that $10 million and I guess the rest of your funding stays? Um, certainly it's been arguing first with the, the local administrators on our campus about the value of biology to the university and to the life sciences. And I think we've done actually a very good job of educating you know, what a quality program we have here and what mm-hmm. an impact we have. So I feel like the upper administration is very supportive of our department. Um, and so really the education goes up to the state level and to, mm-hmm. to see that the state gives enough money to the university to maintain its programs. And that's always a challenge when you have people with uh, as many people vying, vying for their attention. Oh, yeah. yeah. Very legitimate competing interests. Sure. Um, we've had a couple of emails that have come in. Let's start with um, – it says, you may not be aware, but Bloomington has a small company that manufactures orthopedic instruments for the major companies in Warsaw, Indiana, and elsewhere. Chapman Lake Instrument relocated from Warsaw to Bloomington in 1990 because of the quality of life attractions here. So there we go, a little economic development success story. That's a mm-hmm. good one. Thank you for sending that in. Here's a question that came in. It says, what are we doing in Indiana elementary schools to educate our children in life sciences? Lori, do you know anything about that? Um, A little bit. Um, We have several initiatives going on around the state to help bolster um, our K-12 students' knowledge in the life sciences, particularly within science and mathematics. And as I mentioned before, um, um, a consortium of interested parties around the state formed this iSTEM resource network that's housed out of Purdue but is actually implemented through about 14 different um, universities around the state that helps um, with um, preparing um, teachers and giving them some professional development to bring the latest and greatest um, science and math knowledge and, and teaching practices into their classrooms. And so we're kind of starting with the teachers and then that trickles down to obviously the students and there's even some initiatives to um, bring some um, parental knowledge into that as well. Um, and that there are several other um, things we're doing around the state in terms of um, helping with um, bolster some AP classes, um, getting those out into some more of the rural community schools um, and, and things like that. So um, there, there are many, many things that we're working on because we understand how valuable our life sciences um, industry is and in keeping our kids um, engaged and interested in it so that when they graduate they want to 
further their education in, the, in those fields and then hopefully um, take some of these jobs that will hopefully be available. Yeah, the biology department's been very active in this aspect as well. And this has been a partnership with Wonder Lab, which is a hands-on science museum here in Bloomington. We have um, several of our faculty, including myself, have conducted teacher training workshops where we um, invite several teachers from both the local MCCSE district and outlying districts to come into Wonder Lab and spend a day learning about various hands-on science activities that support their curriculum, meet state standards, but at the same time really get the kids excited and engaged in doing science and learning what science is. It's not just memorizing facts, that it's about asking questions and designing ways to answer those questions. And these have, I think, been quite successful. I think we're well over 100 teachers that have come to these teacher workshops now. I'm so glad you made the connection between Wonder Lab and the Life Sciences Initiative. I was I was hoping that someone would, would say something about that because uh, I know that uh, it seems you go to Wonder Lab and, and just have a good time, but the, they really are learning um, about science at the same time. And it's just such a amazing thing to have in our own community. So thanks for making mm-hmm. that connection. Mm-hmm. I want to give the phone numbers one more time. Hopefully we can get a phone call between now and the end of the program. It's uh, 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-WFIU. Uh, Lori, I'm going to, I want to go back to something you said that um, the jobs that will hopefully be there when we're talking about uh, elementary school students and the, you know, getting them interested at an early age. And you also, we've also been talking a lot about incubators and seed money. Is there a, sort of a big wave of investment now for a big payout later? Um, cer- certainly anything that we're working on now could definitely see increase in jobs um, in the future. Um, in fact, there was a study done a couple of years ago that said that we may see as many as 40,000 new um, jobs in the life sciences by 2012. So certainly you can, you can see that um, there could be a, a, a very large increase within the next um, couple of years, assuming that things you know, continue to progress as well as they have. Um, you know, that being said... We know that some companies are, you know, being cautious and trying to, you know, manage um, cash flow and things like that. But um, from from what we can tell with um, the investment of, of new um, venture capital money coming into some of our entrepreneurial companies um, combined with, um, you know, um, places like Eli Lilly and, and Dow Agro, who's actually growing quite, quite nicely right now, um, we hope to see that increase even more. Um, so, so we're we're very hopeful that things continue to progress in these ways. And the the only challenge is that um, when you've got a life sciences company and you've, you're starting a biotech company with two or three researchers out of the school of medicine or out of Purdue or something, um, it takes quite a while for that to really develop into a mature company and and to bring on a lot of um, employees and things like that. Um, you know, it can take. It can take five to ten to fifteen years to get a drug to market, mm-hmm. um, but the great thing that um, Indiana has a lot of strength in, as I mentioned before, are these what we call contract service providers, uh, the, the service companies who who actually develop the drugs, and we're seeing those companies grow um, at a rate of about twelve to fifteen percent a year, and that's I think where you're going to see a lot of the um, new jobs coming and. Um, places, uh, Bloomington's uh, quite a hotbed for those companies as well with places like Bioconvergence and mm-hmm. Cook Pharmaca and Baxter. Those are the kinds of companies that I think you'll see a lot of growth out of. Um, it'll be the companies that actually are doing work for the Eli Lillies of the world. 40,000 jobs by 2012 is a, a real attention getter from where I'm sitting. Uh, what kind of jobs are included in that? Um, I, I, you know, we when I first hear that, I'm kind of picturing lab techs in, in my mind. But are we also talking about um, jobs in healthcare? Um, I think that number does include some healthcare jobs, but it, it may also include, for example, attorneys or marketers or accountants or um, people in professional fields that are actually supporting, you know, the life sciences companies. But a large number of them would be scientists and. Um, you know, folks that are working in the labs or the, ma- the folks on the line who are actually manufacturing 
um, the drugs or devices, things like that. So it, mm-hmm. it's a very inclusive number, but um, does cover a wide range of different kinds of job opportunities. That makes sense. And it seems like there would also be an opportunity for the businesses that um, make the equipment that people like Roger use for in a daily, on a daily basis. Are you seeing that kind of thing uh, pop up in the state? Um, there, we do have a lot of device manufacturers within the state. Some um, We have a, a fairly large Beckman Coulter facility on the north side of Indianapolis that does make some um, 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 equipment for diagnostics and for, for biotech research. Yeah, we bought several um, of their so centrifuges yes, last year. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, we, we are seeing some of that. And, and the other great thing is that um, there is that trickle-down effect. Um, there's, you know, a multiplier of, I think, about six and a half um, people. So for every one life sciences job, there can be another six and a half jobs that are non-life um, science-related within the state. So if you've got a Medco, for example, that's going to have about 1,200 people um, up in Zionsville, there's probably going to need to be um, another um, couple of restaurants built up there or um, other kinds of outline um, businesses that will be needed to support um, that facility. And so when you see large growth like that, um, you can see some of these kind of spin-out businesses that are not life sciences related that will also um, need um, jobs as well. Mm-hmm. Here's a great question that came in from one of our listeners. It says, how feasible is it for an older person seeking to change careers to become trained in a life sciences job? Can you get a good education from a two-year program or do you have to attend a four-year institution? Yeah, that, that's an excellent question. I, I think Ivy Tech has developed very recently a really nice two-year program in biotechnology. And that kind of training, I think, would do very well to go into the manufacturing side of these companies where they just need somebody that kind of understands what the process is about but can get additional training once they get to the company. So I think that's a really important niche that Ivy Tech has filled. And I would think that would be an excellent place for somebody that's maybe recently laid off of a manufacturing job in one industry, wants to retrain a little bit mm-hmm. and get employed again. I think there'd be very good opportunities there. But if you, if you want to be a little higher up in the company, maybe <clears throat> help at the lab bench or help design new manufacturing systems, you probably want that four-year degree or more. Roger, who would you recommend uh, somebody who is interested in making this kind of a career shift? Where should they go first or with whom should they speak about opportunities within the life sciences uh, industry? Um, I think both IU and Ivy Tech have career counseling centers that have tremendous resources and you can set up appointments and you know have a one-on-one conversation and then they can also point you to all sorts of web resources that can mm-hmm. kind of tell you what sorts of training you need for different types of jobs, what jobs are out there right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's really amazing when you go in and talk to these people is you re- appreciate how wide the life sciences is. You know, mm-hmm. so many different types of jobs come under that umbrella and, and they have lists of all those sorts of jobs in these career counseling centers. So that's probably where I would direct people. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Well, Indiana's manufacturing uh, sector has been shedding jobs like crazy. There's the infamous 20% unemployment rate nail card to the RV industry. What, uh, what is being done at the state government level do you hear about to you know, direct investment into new jobs? I mean, uh, Governor Daniels used to work at Lilly and he talks a lot about the life sciences. How is his background and how is uh, you know, the decline of the manufacturing sector really made Indiana focus this much on it? Uh, and, and is it paying off? It seems like a long question. Yeah, but. I'll, 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 I'll let Lori field that question. <laughs> Does she hang yeah. up on us? <laughs> Lori? Well, looks oh, like we've, we've lost, lost Lori. Lori. <laughs> Uh-oh. Well, well, maybe I'll simplify it. How is Governor Daniel's background in the life sciences, uh, and not getting political here at all, but uh, he's made an emphasis on it. He's placed an emphasis on it, um, partially probably due to his background. Mm-hmm. How, is, how have you seen it change since he's come into office? 
I have to admit to being less familiar with exactly what his policies have been to support the life sciences industry. I know um, one thing the state did, I, th I think it started before he was in office, but it's certainly been supported by his administration, is the 21st Century Fund, mm -hmm. which is really designed to help support some of these startup companies. And then mm -hmm. I know actually one of our local researchers here had a nice grant from that program that um, was designed to develop vaccines using algae. Mm. Um, and that has definitely showed some promise. And I think there's also another startup company that's looking at algae for carbon sequestration. Yes. So we burn a lot of coal mm -hmm. here in Indiana, and that's really an issue with um, global warming concerns, how to capture all that carbon that's being released from that coal burning. And one potential solution is to try to capture it using microbes that can convert it back into fixed carbon. So photosynthesis. Amazing stuff. Now, as department chair, I'm sure you spend a, a fair amount of your time focusing on the future. So if you can, look out five to ten years for us and, and just uh, tell us what we might see uh, change-wise coming down the pike. Oh, my crystal ball. Huh? Yeah, if you don't mind. Yeah, the, uh, I think the big thing that, that I'm really very aware of in my own research that's going to especially impact human health is the real emphasis on what's called genomics. Mm -hmm. So this is where one can now fairly cheaply determine the entire DNA sequence of a human genome or a plant genome, bacterial genome, et cetera. And that technology is advancing so quickly that I think within the next five years, we'll literally be able to sequence our own genome for less than $1,000. And that's going to have a huge impact on how we do healthcare because you'll be able to look at that sequence, get a pretty good idea of what diseases you might be at highest risk for, and maybe make some lifestyle changes because of that. But also, it should really impact the way um, pharmaceuticals are prescribed. It should be oh, yeah. able to choose much more intelligently. Um, cancer research, that's another big area where this genomics technology has a big impact because we can literally now take those cancer cells out of the body, sequence them and see what mutations arose in those cancer cells and that can tell you what sort of chemotherapy is going to be the most effective to fight that. And so that's going to be a, a big emphasis over the coming years and going to be impacting all of our lives directly very soon, I think. I think you need to come back and do a whole other show and just talk <laughs> about those two topics. That's fascinating. Well, we're out of time. Thanks again, Roger, and uh, thanks to Lori, who I guess uh, we lost on the phone. That's too bad. Uh, for Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Ariana Prothero, engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Daniel Robison. Thank you for listening. This has been Noon Edition on WFIU. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home, office, and garage using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2, owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922, with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Mother Bear's Pizza of Bloomington, open daily and offering pizzas, pasta dinners, and wings with daily specials. Menu available online at motherbearspizza.com, 332-4495 for delivery. <laughs>